All right. Well, tonight, why don't we start by opening our Bibles to Ephesians 2, Ephesians chapter 2, where in the first three verses, we actually find an explanation of what we, as Christians, have been saved from through the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of his grace, the grace that brought Jesus from heaven to earth in order to live the life that we could not live and die the death that we deserve to die, and then come back to life in order to take all those who believe in him with him someday to heaven itself. Because according to Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, Paul reminds us of what happened. And you, he says, you believers in Christ, you hath he quickened, brought to life, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh. And we've talked about that. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, or by nature the children of wrath, even as others. There is so much in those verses in which, again, Paul explains what we were saved from. I mean, just look at those things. We were saved from spiritual death. We were saved from even our trespasses and sins. Uh, we were saved from this walk according to the course of this world, which we're going to look at more closely here tonight. He saved us from the lusts of our flesh. Uh, he saved us from being children of wrath. And so in all of these things, we see that this is a glorious gospel of grace. God does so much for us. I mean, that's one of the reasons why in that letter to the church of Smyrna, he says, you may be poor outwardly. You may be poor from a material sense. You may be poor according to the world standards, but you are rich. <laughs> and this is part of our wealth. This is part of what Jesus Christ gives to us. That's part of the treasure we have in the gospel. Well, particularly there in verse 2, Paul reminds us that Jesus saved us from, among all these other things, the relationship that we had with this old world. The relationship that we had with this old world. Again, verse 2, wherein, in time past, this is talking about our past life, if you will, uh, not in terms of new age, but our past life before we met Christ. In time past, you walked according to the course of this world. We walked according to the course of this world. Now, the word world in this verse is the same world that we've been looking at the last couple of Sunday, or last couple of weeks already. It's the cosmos. It's that organized spiritual world that is opposed to the things of God. It is the world that is a member of the evil trinity that still wars against our souls that we need to learn to take seriously because it is something that so often distracts us and so often discourages us in our walk with God. This world, this cosmos, is intimately involved with the other two members of that trinity of evil, the flesh and the devil. And combined, they are all seeking to draw us far away from the Lord, as far away from the Lord as they can. And of course, we saw even this morning that ultimately they will fail in their efforts if we are part of Jesus' sheep. And we're, we can be thankful for that and secure in that, but it doesn't stop them from trying. And sometimes it doesn't stop them from succeeding, at least for a, a period of time and in different ways. Now, we've already looked at the composition of this world. Uh, 
this is kind of what we saw a few Sundays back from 1 John 2, 15 through 17. This world, this spiritual world in opposition to God is made up of all things that are in the world that are the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And we really spent some time looking at how the, the world is like a monster in a spiritual sense, trying to draw out what we still have within us, the, the things that are still yet dead within us, to the surface so that we will be sifted like wheat and, and brought to absolutely no use for God and his kingdom. This composition of the world involves the things that appeal to our human appetites, that's the lust of the flesh, our human affections, that's the lust of the eyes, and our human ambitions, the pride of life. Again, all to draw us away from God's will. And of course, John also says, he that does the will of God is who abides forever. And so we see the conflict between the world and the Lord, the conflict between the world's will and the Lord's will. That's the composition of this world. Last week, we considered the consumption of this world and how it is often described in the Bible in negative ways. It's described as a place that is full of darkness, if you remember. Uh, we actually spent some time looking through the Gospel of John and just seeing all of these descriptions of this world. It's a, a place of death. It's a place of danger. And again, when we think of the world, a lot of times we think, well, this is the fold that you know, we, we are so familiar with, kind of like those sheep there. And if the thief comes in to kill and destroy, they may not want to leave because it's so, so familiar to them. And yet we need to learn to see the world for what it really is. You see, even though it may seem innocent and attractive at times, in reality, this old world is a serious and a deadly foe. You might be familiar with the story of the Trojan horse. You know, they would take something as a gift to offer it before a city, and yet within that horse is full of soldiers meant to, again, kill and destroy once they were in the city. And that's what the world does. The world actually takes what God made for good within the world to make use of it for evil, to draw us away from him. So that's the, the composition of this world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's the consumption of this world. It seeks to consume us into its darkness and death and danger. Tonight we're going to look more at the character of this world and really the spirit of this world as we find here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. And of course, we're going to look at a bunch of other passages as you can see there on your message guide. Because Paul tells us, not only did Jesus save us from the world, he also saved us, again, Ephesians 2, 2, from walking according to the course of this world. Now, the word translated, the word translated course here, some translations have this, is age which is referring to a period of time. So not only can the spiritual world be described as a place, a temporal place, it can also be described in the Bible as a time period in which we live. So it's just a different perspective. And whereas last Sunday we looked at the cosmos and how it opposes us and opposes God, now we're going to look at the world in its time frame, its time period, and how this age has its own spirit which is trying to draw us away from Christ. It's a time period in which we live. And it is this time period in which the powers of the world are permitted by God, according to his plan, to do their thing. And of course, we considered that involves the ongoing attempt to capture your appetite, 
to captivate your affections and to cultivate your ambitions all for itself. It's that black hole just wanting to suck any evil it can unto itself and to draw that evil out of us so that we are out of use for God. Now we're going to see from other passages tonight that this character, the, the spirit of this world is altogether different than, of course, the character and the spirit of our Savior Jesus Christ. And yet the world will try to convince us that it's not. Uh, we know that the devil likes to counterfeit all that God has created good for his people and try to put a different twist and spin on it to deceive, if it were possible, even the elect. You see, they will try to deceive us that it has our best interest and our best life in mind. And that really is deception. <laughs> because the age of this world wants to keep our focus on this world. Whereas the Spirit of Christ wants us to set our minds and affections where? On things above and not on things on the earth. So again, we see that, that there's that contrast, that conflict. And so we see, first of all, from this verse here in Ephesians 2, that this old world, this age, this time period in which we live has its own distinctive course. We're walking, we were walking the course, the age of this world. We were walking just lockstep with everybody else in this world. Again, verse 2. In time past, he walked according to the age of this world. This fallen age in which we live is, is actually given in terms of a path upon which we used to walk and live. And if you think about it, that really is the course that the vast majority of people in this world continue to walk down. I know some of you have watched that show, Chosen. Um, it's, it has some kind of fascinating features to it. But one of the things that captured me uh, was at the very beginning of the episodes where it has the, you know, the intro music, which I didn't really care a whole lot for, but the, the graphics. Did you notice what that was? It was a bunch of fish swimming in one direction, right? And then all of a sudden, you see a different colored fish turning around and going against the flow following another direction. And then it takes a few more fish and goes that way. And that is exactly what the gospel does for us. It changes our course. We were flowing, and in that, I guess, case, swimming with the fish of the world in one direction. And then when God gets a hold of our heart, we're now turned and swimming another direction, a whole different course, the opposite course. And yet there's still all of those other fish flowing against us, right? And sometimes we start to think, well, maybe is this really the right direction? <laughs> I mean, we're so accustomed to going that other way. This is really a hard way to go. The, the current is so much stronger against us this way than it was the other way. And yet that is the case of this world. You see, since everybody is going the same direction, sometimes it just seems and feels like the right way to go, even though it's not. It tries to convince us that way. This is the course of this age. But what does Jesus say about this course? What does Jesus tell us about this age in which we live? Uh, let's head over to Matthew chapter 7. And again, we're going to look at a number of passages that refer to this world in its status as a period of time. And in Matthew 7, Jesus uses the same word. Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14, Jesus says to us, Enter ye in at the straight gate. And if you remember our time in the Pilgrim's Progress a few years ago, that was the wicket gate. 
Uh, it was the, the small door in the large gate that would enter in and out of a city. So enter into this wicket gate, this straight gate. Why? Because wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. So if you take that picture and put it to that fish, we have a, a wide stream. We have a wide current with a lot of fish going the same way. But where is it leading? To destruction. Many there be which go in thereat. But then in verse 14, Jesus says, because straight, narrow is the gate. And then he uses another word for narrow, which means it's even narrower than that. Narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. When we think about this world, and we think about the age and the time period of this world, it is the opposite of the course of Christ. The course of Christ is narrow and sometimes hard, whereas the course of this world is wide and sometimes very easy. And so as Christians, we need to be careful not to walk down the same path again. Just because everybody else in the world is doing something, we assess our walk, we assess where we swim based on the guidance that we have in the Word of God. So yes, this age has its own distinctive course. And it's deceptive to try to get us to go down that path again. But then we can also see that this world, this age, has its own distinctive cares as well. Its own distinctive cares. Uh, Jesus also addresses this in the book of Matthew. So go over a few pages to Matthew 13. Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus is explaining to his disciples that familiar parable of the sower and the seed. We won't take the time to look at the entire parable. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 13, 22. He talks about one of the places where that seed that was sown actually landed. And some of it landed among the thorns. And so Jesus explains what he means by that. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that what? Heareth the word and the care of this world. And the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. The care of this world is the care of this age. The same word that we looked at earlier. And it refers to those things that cause worry and anxiety and concern in this fallen age in which we live. And so we know that there's a lot of care in this age. And of course, this age is not just the age in which we live, this particular time period, the 21st century, but it's the age of this world, from the time when Adam and Eve fell into sin, even to the time of the coming of Christ, who re will restore all things to the way they should be. This is the period of this age in which men, no matter when they've lived, no matter where they lived, they all have these same cares. It's the care of this age. These are the cares that, for the most part, are what motivates people to live the way they do. And if you really think about it, there's not a whole lot different between someone who is very wealthy and someone who is very poor. Because they all pursue the same things, it's just some they can have a bigger house, whereas the poor just are trying to find a little shelter. Um, those who have the excess money can go to the finest restaurants in order to satisfy their physical appetite. And whereas the poor may just 
have a meager existence and just have to eat rice and beans for meal after meal after meal, yet for both, what motivates them in life is to meet those cares of this age, the physical necessities that we have here. Of course, in this age, we do need shelter, no matter where you are on that spectrum. Uh, we do need clothing. We do need food. We do need love. We need connection with people. God made us as social people. And yet all too often, what do we do? We seek after even more than we need, either to overcompensate or to impress others or even just to please ourselves. And this is the care of this age. And the care for these things and even the deceitfulness of riches, what does that do to the word, Jesus says? It chokes it. It chokes it out. Because the word of God has given us to set our minds and affections on things above, and the care of this age is trying to draw our attention back here to this ground and this earth. And you know, a lot of times it does a pretty good job, doesn't it? And it chokes out the word. It chokes out what we really need, which is God himself. So what's the alternative? Well, in Luke, Jesus actually gives us the alternative. So if you head there with me, Luke chapter 12. So just a, a few pages forward, but in Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 32, I'd like to read this extended passage and listen to Jesus' words, what he says about dealing with the care of this age and the worries of this age. We're familiar with this passage, Luke 12, 22. Jesus said to his disciples, to us even, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on, if we stop there, that is the care of this age. That is the care of the world. That is what the world is trying to draw our attention from, the things that are higher and the things that are nobler, the things that really ought to capture and captivate our sight. It's drawing us to those basic elements which, yes, though we need, it's not all we need. Because Jesus goes on in verse 23, the life is more than meat and the body is more than raiment. Even if you are poor and you can only eat rice and beans, your life is still more than meat. And even if you have rags as clothing, your body is still more than raiment. He goes on, consider those ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and yet God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you with taking, with, without each of you with taking thought, excuse me, can add to his stature just one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Oh, consider the lilies how they grow. They toil not, they spin not, and yet I say unto you that Solomon in all of his glory is not arrayed like unto these. You know, just the other day my wife and I were taking a, a road trip and we were kind of surprised to see the daffodils already coming out. And as she pointed them out to me, I said, boy, aren't they going to be sorry? <laughs> and then I woke up this morning and thought, yep, I bet they're sorry now. <laughs> And yet, when we think about them just popping up out of the ground, I mean, obviously they were planted, they were cultivated, but ultimately it's God that gives that light, that life, that beauty of those flowers. He says, just consider those. It goes on in verse 28. If God so clothe the grass, which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O, o ye of little faith? Seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind, for all these things do the nations of the world seek after. Again, this is the care of the world. This is the care of the age. 
because your Father knoweth that you have need of these things. But rather, what should we do? <laughs> Look up. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. You see, the cares of this age are the opposite of what we really should be caring about. And if we were to really f focus on what God wants us to focus on, we wouldn't worry about those other things. And that's why we need to be careful about the pressures from both without and within that often cause us to worry about what God has promised to provide already for his children. And I say that there's pressure without because there's always the pressure of what is out there. Uh, I remember uh, one of my good friends who was from Ukraine uh, there in college, and he is actually a pastor in Kiev right now there um, in the Ukraine. And um, I remember the first time he told me that he went to Walmart. He just couldn't believe his eyes because there were so many options. Now, obviously, Ukraine has changed over time. This is back in the early 90s, just come out of, out of the, the Soviet domination. And they didn't really have a lot then. They certainly have more now, but still not as much as probably what we have. He even said he, he felt grieved because of all the choices that he could make. And he didn't really want to make those choices because he felt greedy because he could choose something that looked maybe a little better over something that didn't look as, as good, even though it was the same thing. And so it was a challenge to him, even in his faith. And again, we recognize that we need to be careful about what is that pressure from without. And yet there's also that pressure from within, just things that will satisfy us, uh, things that will comfort us. But in doing so, and we, we, we focus on those cares, we become careless so often about the things of God. That is the care of this age. We need to be cautious about it. Uh, we can also see further that this age, this world, has also its own distinctive comprehension or wisdom about things. Uh, let's head over to 1 Corinthians now. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Because there in verses 18 through 20, uh, Paul actually describes something that he calls as the wisdom of this age. So there is a wisdom of this world. There is a wisdom of this age. Oh, but it is not the kind of wisdom that you and I really think it should be. Uh, chapter 1, verses 18 and 20, Paul says, The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. So there's the contrast between the wisdom of the world and age and the wisdom of God already on display. But he says, But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Verse 19, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent, where is the wise, he asks? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age, this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this age? So there was, back then, and there still is today, a wisdom of this age. There was then and still is a way that people think things are and the way thing, they think things should be done in this world. So there is a knowledge, there is a wisdom in this world, and yet it often changes, doesn't it? And we even saw this back with COVID and all of the debate over to wear a mask, not wear a mask, wear five masks, get a vaccine, get two vaccine, no vaccine, five boosters. And we even say, 
Or they even said, trust the science, and yet the science was all over the place, right? So even the wisdom of this world, the knowledge of this age changes. But really, Paul's point here is that no matter how much intelligence man might have in this age, no matter how much insight man might have in this age, no matter how much instruction and interaction that goes on in this age, ultimately, it does not measure up to the knowledge and wisdom of God who is omniscient in all things. Again, if you look at verse 19, no matter how much intelligence man might have in this age, it's nothing compared to the wisdom of God. He says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. No matter how much insight a man might have in this age, it's still nothing compared to the wisdom and understanding of God. Verse 20, where is the wise? Even no matter how much instruction and interaction, you know, a lot of people say, well, as long as we talk about things, we'll really get to know things. We'll get to understand things. We'll have wisdom. Verse 20, where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? All of this knowledge will never measure up to the omniscience and wisdom of God. You see, the comprehension of this age is just so limited. And it is something that we still ought to pursue. We ought to still learn things and go to school and enhance our understanding of things. But we need to remember that the comprehension of this age is just so limited in scope and in time. It's proven to be nothing compared to the wisdom of God as it's revealed in the gospel and ultimately the cross. And yet, how often does the world try to convince us that the knowledge and wisdom that it has is greater than the knowledge and wisdom of God and what he has revealed to us through his word? The wisdom of this age is don't look at that book, don't trust that book, don't read that book. Whether it's in Genesis or Revelation, it's just a bunch of fairy tales. It's always trying to draw our attention away from the book. Whereas the wisdom of God says, look at my book. This is my wisdom. This is my word. It's living and it abides forever. So if there's a contrast or a conflict between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of the Lord as, as we find in the word of God, what should give? The wisdom of the world. Because we have the truth and we know the truth will last forever. We need to be careful to not just give credence to everything that this world is saying. We need to look at the world's wisdom in light of God's wisdom, which ultimately makes the world's wisdom nothing but foolishness. And that is all because, number four, the, the world, this age, has its own distinctive culture as well. Its own distinctive culture. A culture that is best summed up by Paul in the book of Galatians. So if you head there with me now, Galatians chapter 1. At the very beginning of his letter, he offers a customary prayer. And of course, we've gone through a bunch of these letters in the New Testament, and the prayer is, grace be to you and peace, right? I mean, those really are the two critical things that we need most as Christians. Uh, first, to be saved, and then even as we are saved, and he prays this for every church that he writes to, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he adds, verse 4, who gave himself for our sins so that he might deliver us from this present evil world, or age, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Again, there, verse 2, Paul calls this present world an age, a time period in which we live. And what does he describe it as? He says we are living in a present 
evil world. This is the spirit of this age. It has been the spirit of this age. It is the culture of this age as a whole. It is evil. It is bad. It is sinful. The culture of this world is generated by the people in this world. It's not getting better progressively. It's getting worse progressively. That's why Paul uh, told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.13, evil men and seducers shall wax what? Worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Not better and better. Again, the, the, the age in which we live with all of its own wisdom wants you to think that with all of the advancements and technology and this, that, or the other, we're going to get better and better and better. The environment's going to get better. Mankind's going to get better. All of these things are going to get better, and yet, again, compare the wisdom of this world with the wisdom of God through his word, and he says, no, it's going to get worse. Because it's an evil culture, this present evil age. It, the, the culture of this world is neither benign nor is it innocent. It is corrupt. And that's one of the reasons why we really need to be careful when we face issues of culture, because they seem so commonplace, so ordinary, so just kind of matter of fact. But we need to remember that the overall flow of culture is not toward the Lord. It is away from the Lord. It's, it's the fish going that one way. It's still going that pathway to destruction. And so we need to learn to use the objective standard of God's word to assess our culture because what may be considered normal by the world actually may be rooted in opposition to what is true and right. Now, there might be areas of culture that for a time period might correspond with what is true and right from God's perspective. And, and those are things that we can certainly embrace and certainly use. You know, one of the things that we see in the Bible where, um, where Paul talks about people, how they're supposed to greet each other within the church. He says, greet each other with a, a holy kiss. Now, obviously, people back then would have greeted each other with a kiss in a cultural setting. And certainly there was nothing wrong with that. But he says, when you adopt a cultural practice, you need to do so in a Christian way, in a distinctively Christian way. So that the world will recognize that it's not just a common, ordinary greeting, but it's a holy greeting. It's one that is drawing each other to, to each other, ultimately for the glory of Christ. You see, we need to remember that the culture in which we have, um, excuse me, is something that we can find contrary to this culture of the gospel. And we need to make sure that we are not surprised that ultimately the trend lines keep going away from the Lord and not toward the Lord. And the whole reason for this is, last point here, is the world's distinctive captain, its leader. Uh, if you go back to 2 Corinthians 4, 2 Corinthians 4, just a few pages back, in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, Paul says this, If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them who are lost, in whom the God of this age, the God of this world, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So here in verse 4, Paul reminds us that this world, this age, has its own God, its own deity, and it's not the God. It's not the one true God. 
In fact, back in Ephesians 2.2, that we read earlier, Paul describes this God of the age as the prince and the, the prince of the power of the air. And then Paul even tells us in Ephesians that this God of the age and this prince of the power of the air has its own government. Ephesians 6.12, the rulers of the darkness of this age. And so the direction of this fallen age is under the leadership and spell of the devil himself. And the direction is the opposite of God's path and purpose for his people. So what are we to do with this age in which we live? What are we to do? Well, what we are not to do, we can find in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. And then we'll have one more passage to look at, and then we'll be done. But there was a problem that Paul addresses about a man named Demas in 2 Timothy 4.10. He tells Timothy, and these are really tragic, sad words. He says, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, or age. He loved this time period. And it became a priority to him over the eternal time period, if you will. The course and the cares and the comprehension and the culture of this age became more important to Demas than following after Christ. And so he abandoned Paul. But you know, it is still so easy for us to fall prey to that same kind of spirit. Because it just seems so ordinary, so normal. I mean... We look around us and we see what our culture is like. And, and it just seems like that's the flow of things. That's the way things should go. It seems right for us in our humanity. Everyone else is doing it, so maybe it's okay for us to as well. And yet, what are we to do when faced with the age of this world? Our last verse, you may not even need to turn there because we probably already know it by heart. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul says, and be not conformed to this world. Again, in all of these areas, the world wants to conform us to itself. And Paul says distinctly, don't be conformed to this world. Don't, don't be squeezed in by this mold. This means that there needs to be a kind of resistance to this world. Because the very spirit of this age is good at consuming our minds and hearts and time to take away our commitment to Christ, isn't it? Just think about this last week and what distracted you from your walk with God. The world is a master at getting your attention to the time period of this age versus the age to come. And then Paul says, as part of our commitment, do not let the pressures, do not let the pleasures of this world squeeze you into its mold and conform you into its shape. But there also needs to be a certain kind of defiance when it comes to this world, and a certain kind of difference. You don't need to turn there, but I'd like to end by reading Titus 2, 11 and 12, where Paul says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. That's what we are to do when we are faced with the course of this age, the cares of this age, the comprehension or this wisdom of this age, and even the culture of this age. 
God wants us, by His grace, through His strength, in this present evil age, to live soberly, that is, with a clear head, righteously and godly in this present age. And I think when we live like that, the world will take notice. And may not be too happy about it, but it will take notice because it is entirely different than the course and the cares and the comprehension and the culture of this age. So now, tonight, let's remember that this world is not just a place. It is a period of time, a period of time that will come to an end, but it's an age that is in contradiction to what God has for his people. And so we need to be careful when, we are, when we're faced with the issues of this age to make sure that we conform our lives to what God has given to us in his word and not just go with the flow. Let's close in prayer. Gracious Father, I do want to thank you again that you've given us this instruction of how we can face this age and even the God of this age and even the cares of this age and even the wisdom of this age. Because, Lord, we need that help. We need that instruction. We need your grace to do so. Because it's so easy for us to go with that flow. It's so easy for us to just live the way we did before. Where we walked in time past according to the age of this cosmos. And Lord, we know that it is a pathway that leads us away from you and not closer to you. And so, Lord, we need your wisdom tonight. We need your wisdom this week as we make decisions about this world in which we live. Knowing that we have responsibilities in this world, but Lord, even as we fulfill those responsibilities, we have a greater responsibility to focus our attention on things above. So, Father, I pray that you will help us to have discernment about the matters of this world so that we will choose what's right. That, Lord, you'll give us an understanding so that we may be more Christ-like than worldly. And so, Father, I pray that you'll help us this week especially to assess our own walk and to make sure, Lord, that we are going against that flow that, Lord, we know is a wide path that ultimately leads to destruction. Help us, Lord, to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present evil age. For it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.